This is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 165, where we're talking about Luke Cage, season 2, episode 9, for Pete's sake. Welcome back, fellow defenders. It is I, Chris Jones, one of your fellow defenders, TV podcast hosts, and we are here on episode 165, talking about Luke Cage, season two, episode nine. Oh, for Pete's sake. <laughs> I am joined by my illustrious co-hosts, partners in crime, defenders in crime, the guy with the glowing pinky, the none other than. Yes, it's me. I am one of your hosts, John. And I'm your final host, Derek. I don't have a glowing pinky or anything else, really. No, you can be our daredevil, our <laughs> avocado-in-law. I did used to shade. be, didn't I? We used to introduce ourselves as members of the Defenders until we got a complaint on iTunes about how stupid that was. <laughs> so we stopped. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like it, though, because I am the titular Jessica Jones. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah. Anyway, welcome back, fellow Defenders. Thank you so much for joining us. If you are joining us for the first ever time... What are you doing? It's We're nine episodes into season two. You've got like a back catalogue to go to. So get your ass over to DefendersTVPodcast.com and you can find all of our back catalogue, every episode you ever want to listen to. Gentlemen, I kind of want to just speed through this because you know what? This is... Oh, this was an episode and a half. Mm-hmm. Let's get... Because I want to get into the, the nitty-gritty, the details. Derek, do you want to tell us... All the episode details, written by and directed by. Sure, yes, this episode was written by two actors, uh, credited for this one, uh, written by Matt Owens and Ian Stokes. Uh, we have talked about both of them before. Matt Owens wrote episode three of this season, and Ian Stokes wrote episode five. So both of them have pretty good history with Luke uh, Cage throughout this season as well. So, yeah, Joining together for a collaborative effort here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. In the episode we thought was going to be Luke and Danny teaming up, actually wasn't. <laughs> well, yeah, that is the only thing. I was like, where's Danny? <laughs> He's coming, don't worry. Don't we worry. just got a random yes. facility. Exactly, exactly. These were our dem- dynamic duo. These were our hero for hires for this episode. Mm-hmm. And the episode was directed by Clark Johnson. He directed You Know My Steez back in season one. Loads of TV over the years. Uh, directed four episodes of The Wire, uh, where he also had a role as city ed- editor Gus Haynes in season five of the show. Um, all about the media in uh, in Baltimore, which was a great season of The Wire. Really enjoyed that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I loved You Know My Steez. Um, mm-hmm. I said it before. Wire was not my original cup of tea, um, so I can't speak to his previous credits. Don't worry, both of us loved it, Chris, so we, we can yeah. speak to it. Yeah, so two out of three think The Wire is good. That's good enough. Mm-hmm. That will do you, Absolutely. Clark. That'll do you. Absolutely. John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for the episode? Sure. Misty, Luke, Mariah, Tilda, and James Lucas lose their tail, and with the off-screen help of Danny Rand, hunker down in a Rand Enterprises research facility. However, tensions rise as Luke and Misty butt heads over how to handle Mariah, and ultimately Misty agrees to offer Black Mariah immunity in exchange for evidence against Bushmaster. Meanwhile, long-buried family secrets come to light as Luke tells Tilda that her mum murdered their cousin Cornell Stokes. As Tilda confronts Mariah demanding the truth, she gets the whole truth. 
Mariah admits to his murder, but also explains a devastating truth behind the murder, Tilda's birth, their uncle Pete, and ultimately why Mariah doesn't love her daughter. In contrast, Luke begins to reconcile with his father just as Bushmaster turns up at the Rand facility following a tip-off from Detective Nandy. Luke manages to defeat Bushmaster and he is captured by the police. However, in the confusion, Mariah escapes and reunites with Shades, who has captured Bushmaster's uncle, Paul and Nancy McIntosh. As the two plot their vengeance, Bushmaster also makes an explosive escape from police custody to Mother's Touch, where at gunpoint, Tilda is forced to heal him. I have one edit I need to make, John, to your synopsis. The word forced to heal him. Hmm. They didn't, there wasn't a lot of forcing there. It there was, was like, a gun. That's not a force. <laughs> but I, anyway, I'm sticking with my she's going to okay. be evil people. Gentlemen, I think it's time because this is a jam-packed episode. Mm-hmm. And I'm loving it. And I'm, I'm going to give a bit of a spoiler. This may have been my favorite episode this oh, season so goodness. far. Excellent. Mm-hmm. I think I'm up there with you, Chris. But let's get into our five bullet points. Exactly. So, bullet point number one. Cabin Fever and Rand Enterprise. Yes, yes. Nice to see a Rand facility on screen here. And John had to point out to me after the first time we watched the episode, this is not the same facility we saw in the Defenders. Pretty obviously it wasn't. I don't know why I thought it was in the first place. I think it was just because the Rand Enterprise's signs were everywhere. John kind of went, um, it's not in the city. There are trees all around it. It's only about four stories high. It's not a skyscraper. Loads of reasons. I just thought that they were going to the facility that was being renovated for being opened again uh, after the Defenders, but a completely different place. Yeah. To give you props the lobby did look similar <laughs> i want to know why luke has it seems like he's kind of gate crashing like he doesn't seem like he's talked to danny about we're basically just going to set up shop in one of your facilities that's being renovated is that a cool yeah no fine mm-hmm. he's like i got this i have the code don't worry i have the code and he has to figure it out a bit. And I'm like, do you think you'd be on the phone to Danny going, what's the code? Okay, so four, five. Okay, grand, thanks. We'll talk to you soon. I actually think the joke is something to do with Luke Cage not being great with technology. They have kind of mentioned that before. He's not really a technology kind of guy. <laughs> and I think that's just a little play on the fact that he has to use electronics for pretty much the first time. We don't see him using much electronics in the show. I think it's just a bit of a gag on the fact that he's not very good at that kind of stuff. Yeah, and Mariah obviously is like, why can't you just break down the, <laughs> the, the door and the glass? You know, uh, yeah, love that Round Enterprises was here and... I really wish that Danny Rand had been there as well. Um, mm-hmm. I, that's kind of how I thought it was going to happen. But uh, I do like uh, how Mariah says, how do you know Danny Rand? You know, this billionaire with the the reply of hot yoga from Luke Cage. <laughs> <laughs> really, really good. Hilarious. Um, yeah, absolutely love this. But it's a great um, setup really here in that you have all these characters that have different levels of loathing <laughs> against primarily Black Mariah, I suppose, Mm. um, all together in this facility. And, you know, the camera can just follow as they move around and have these different discussions. So it's a great sort of bedrock for for this episode. And, of course, it allows for some fantastic moments uh, throughout this episode. Oh, yeah. Really, really does. Uh, and I suppose, you know, some of the the lines, I mean, in particular, just how Misty and Mariah are at 
each other's throat here. I really, really like this. In particular, there's the the whole prayer circle where Mariah is kind of like throwing her eyes to to the the ceiling, and then later on you have Misty throwing her eyes, waiting for some kind of divine punishment, uh, the lightning bolt, because she's just prayed with the devil uh-huh. um you know it really really good uh, i enjoyed their back and forth uh, and them trading insults i thought it was really really good oh absolutely i love mariah talking to misty going uh, i'll never give a pig anything but slops <laughs> is her is first line to her when misty takes her phone off her she goes will you charge it on your way back to the barn heifer <laughs> it's really really harsh and then you see like literally misty's like oh i'm gonna beat the crap out of her mm-hmm. and then you see luke like misty misty calm yeah. calm it's like i don't care just... what job i've got she's going down yeah it's absolutely hilarious just the pitter patter between these characters is fantastic it's something that's well known in writing circles one of this one of the tenets of having great character writing is about putting your main characters in one situation together and just having them play off each other. It was a, it was a technique that Quentin Tarantino used to use in his movies and how he made them such small budget and interesting character movies is just getting 13 different people in a room and talking through a situation. It's kind of 12 angry men was another example of this where you just put them in a room and see how they, how they play off each other. And it's something you only really do when you know your characters really well. And I think these moments where you have, you know, the innocent and Tilda talking to her mother and talking to Luke, you have Misty, who's the angry cop trying to deal with the situation. You've got James, who's basically the uh, reverend taking confession from everybody. And he, everybody's going to him for just some psychiatric help almost at times. Um, it's really good that they did this in this episode. It's the right time to do it in the series. Yeah, I would have enjoyed the inclusion of potentially shades mm-hmm. and... Maybe the reintroduction of Claire or something. Like, I could see exactly as you said, 12 angry men. The, 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 the premise is you lock them in one location and it, it's Quentin Tarantino. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I would have loved to have seen this extended slightly more, this kind of part of it. Right. And getting some additional character, like Shades and Luke. Right. Like, I would have loved that interaction. Mm. And then Claire and Luke going back and forth, and then Claire going to the dad, and then Claire having a one-on-one with Mariah. I'm not complaining with what we got. Absolutely, yeah. What we got was fantastic. Yeah, and I do think having the moment of having Luke only having his father that he really knows well there does allow them to have their moment together. Having Mariah not having any support from Shades or from any of her other men means that she has to strip back completely and is stripped back completely by all of the other characters. You have that wonderful dig from Luke as well to her where she, where the two of them are having their discussion and she says to him, Harlem needs me. Harlem loves me. I'm their queen. And he goes, Harlem doesn't need you at all. It just survives you, Mariah. Unlike Cornell, really good dig at the murder of Cornell. That's it. I mean, there's, there's, Massive egos here, really, as well. Mm. At the end of the day, Luke sees himself as the hero of Harlem. And then, as you say, Mariah sees herself as the queen. And she goes, Harlem doesn't need a hero. It needs a queen. Mm. You know, it, it's really this sort of battle to be the heart and soul uh, and the leader of Harlem here. One very much seeing themselves as this, you know, royal um head of Harlem through Harlem's paradise, through the club, and the other one working the beat on the pavement, keeping it safe, yeah, uh, yeah. coming from below, effectively. And it's really, you know, those contrasts, but nonetheless, again, 
these two egos locked up against uh, one another. It's interesting as well, I think, with Tilda that, you know, she's kind of, again, she's really feeling things out here. You know, she, both her and Luke have a really interesting conversation um, about a Bushmaster's um, powers, where they come from uh, and so on. But then equally, it's turned back to Luke where she goes, you know, I- I'll tell you what I know if you tell me what you know uh, about my mother. And and of course, that I think ultimately for me sets up a probably one of the most amazing kind of bits of of dialogue and script as well but i think as well you know mariah and and misty and luke and i suppose moving on to bullet point two get into a bit of um a head-to-head where mariah ultimately gets a deal Mm -hmm. really to the chagrin of of misty she's like she cannot believe that this is being proposed by by luke ultimately and asking mariah to give up bushmaster the hammer weapons as well because they have the federal charges uh, and Mariah in response wants immunity. I think one of the great things about this is with Misty as well, when she goes back to the precinct to, to broker this deal to see if the DA will actually go for it. She meets her old captain here who has been promoted up and has come back in now that Ridenauer has been murdered. And there's that sense of growth in that Misty, despite her having a massive sort of argument really with Luke about, you know, can we really do this? Her boss really says, you've grown. And Misty says, this is the right play to do. Um, and she's like, you know, she brings it back to Ridenauer, who was looking to give a deal to Mariah for a limited sentence. And she's exactly. going further here. You know, she tore him down for that. And now she's going further. I think what Luke says to her here is that you can only handle one devil at a time is that let's get Bushmaster and his his crew and then we'll get Mariah uh, on on different charges. This is a really nice moment between both Luke and Misty, but also just seeing Mariah really suck it up and sort of deal it out as she signs that immunity deal Um she goes, I'm taking my time here, you know. Effectively, I'm getting away scot-free, yeah. and you guys know it. Uh, she's proper proud of herself here. This is really, really good. Um, and given what happens with Mariah uh, later on, it's a real crushing moment, ultimately, for Luke and uh, Misty. But they are looking at the long game here. Yeah, the loss of Captain Knight... Kind of, I, I had, I had kind of built it in my head. I know I'm building, I'm building all these kind of storylines <laughs> in my head. Of course, that's what I'm doing. Uh, no, look, she didn't have the experience, but the fact that her ex-captain did come back, I would have liked if they had a forced Misty into it, which is she didn't want to give Mariah the deal mm-hmm. at all. She was completely dead set against it. But then I would have liked that growth in her, which is okay, the greater good. She does get there, but if you do, if you do it as her as being the captain, the one having to make the final decision. Mm. Whereas in this, she has the growth, but to bring it to her new captain, so she doesn't have the final say. Uh, I don't know. Look, it, it's nice. Maybe they don't want her with the ultimate control role. 
uh, for the police. Yeah, like I think it's quite a good decision here to bring back Priscilla Ridley. She's the uh, deputy chief is her position now uh, in the it. show. So, um, so while I actually wrote it in the notes that it's no longer Captain uh, Knight, I don't think she ever actually officially got the title. It's just she was the highest ranking officer and nobody wanted to come near the department until the issue was resolved, basically, with uh, with Rittenauer's death. Um, but the fact that there is always someone above you when you're in the police force, you know, if if it's not an ultimate decision of Misty, it's it's the decision of the DA as to whether he'll go for it. But I do like that she has to convince her old boss something that her old boss would have had to convince Misty of in season one. So that's where we kind of see the growth. Yeah. That's where you have that moment with Priscilla Ridley where she looks at yeah. Misty and goes, have I seen that change in you of all people? You're actually changing and understanding how the system has to work sometimes um, for the greater good. You know, I do, I do like that scene between the two of them because they had butted heads so much throughout season one. Yeah. yeah. And also I think um, uh, Priscilla really, she channels a, a bit more of Ridenour as well back at uh, Misty, where she says, you know, you can't stop the tide, only protect people from the flood, which was a conversation that Ridenour and Misty had. And I think Misty in that instance still doesn't like that idea in a sense, mm-hmm. but she's seeing that it is about small steps, small incremental steps to, to try and make Harlem a more protected place from the likes of Bushmaster and Mariah. She's playing the long game. I, I suppose here, I think uh, that 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 was just really good, and I mean, ultimately that deal does come through. It gets accepted by the DA, and we have you know that little moment there were you know in giving away the location of our protagonists in the Danny Rand cabin. Someone is overhearing um, that conversation, and it's uh, old Detective Nandy. Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? And we'll talk about it a bit later on when we get to the real point about the attack from Bushmaster. But it is interesting. There's something about Nandy's reaction to the conversation that's going on with Misty and uh, Priscilla Ridley. There's something about her reaction in it that I couldn't tell whether it's that she feels betrayed that they're giving up Mariah or is she just listening out for where the location is for Mariah? I just wasn't sure whether she's turned on the police or whether she's going, hold on a second, Misty, you can't do this and give up Mariah we need to take both of these people down and the way I'm going to do it is send Bushmaster after them or whether she's just in it for the money. I'm not right. I wasn't really too sure. She does say a line about that uh, to Bushmaster when she gives away the location. She says that that deal deal's still on the table, but I'm still not sure whether we're just going to see in the next episode. And Andy goes, I couldn't abide by you letting Mariah get away scot-free. You know, I, I think it's going to be the latter. I think it's the, the money. I think what we're going to find out is there's back from when, Misty knew her originally, and they were on the same team together. Mm-hmm. We're going to find that that like there was something in the background. She okay. took bribe to fall, or like there's going to be they're going to have it as she's corruptible. Okay, maybe she hasn't been built to be that anti Mariah in this story so far. In that she's not the one railing about having to let Mariah go for Rittenhouse when mm. she was in the police station. She's not the one railing like as much as Misty was. If you can see, like there was no outburst that all coming from Misty it wasn't coming from Nandy. There's certainly been a lot of moments though where she's criticised Misty for stepping all over her case. She still feels that Mariah is responsible for the death of Rittenhouse. I think that was the active theory in the department that 
she's the one that killed Rittenauer, even not by her own hand. She sent somebody else to kill him. So there's possibly that moment where Nandy's going, hang on a second, I know you need to take down Bushmaster, but we still need to solve the case that you've been stepping all over throughout the series, basically, Misty. And now you're going to let go the only person we feel is responsible for the dead of Rittenauer. I'm just not sure. I think it's something that we'll we'll see in the next couple of episodes, but I think both sides are possibilities, um, and we'll definitely get it confirmed in the next episode, I'd say. Yeah. Uh, I just think she wanted a payday. <laughs> Who doesn't want a nice two million, potentially three million three, payday? Yeah, three. Yeah, gentlemen, I think it's time we move on to bullet point number three. Yeah, something I never thought I would see happen: <laughs> the reconciliation. Luke and James finally see eye to eye. Yeah, yeah, I know we saw a little bit of it um, last episode. We did comment on uh, that n- lovely moment between the two of them where James punches a guy out and says, nobody hits my baby, you know? Uh, nice little moments. But I just, I, f- I like the interaction between these two characters yeah. again. I love that we find out that that story that he was talking about to uh, Claire earlier on about Titanic is a go-to for James, that he always has this problem with the movie. It's like as if he walked out of the cinema after seeing the movie and went... This is so wrong. Why did Jack have to die? And it stuck with him for forevermore. If a woman's not willing to let you on her door as she floats away from the Titanic, then she's not worth your time. <laughs> I just think it was the last kind of contemporary film he saw. Maybe. When's the last time he went to the cinema? Oh, remember Titanic, this recent film? I'm like, <laughs> I really enjoyed the, the Coco conversation mm-hmm. that sometimes you just need the right touch. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I see Luke just shaking the shit out of it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that was just like brilliant. <laughs> I'm I'm surprised though. Like he's definitely able to control his uh, his powers. Uh, I'm surprised he just didn't rip the front door off the thing when he was shaking it as hard as he was. Um, but it, it is a nice touch with James, as you say, having kind of turning something into a parable for for Luke. It's that kind of spiritual leader where he looks at the environment around him and goes. This is something, trying to tell you something, Luke. This is why you need to calm down on your anger. Sometimes it just takes a gentle touch. You know, it's a nice little, nice little moment for James. Yeah. I, I really liked how the, the, this relationship built, uh, in, in this episode between Luke and James. Yeah. Over the drink dispenser. And then finally, you know, after the Bushmaster attack, they're there chatting about the two of them. You know, the reason why he, came back up to Harlem. I mean, there's the suggestion that he's going back to Georgia and mm-hmm. he's asking Luke to come back uh, to Georgia with him. But, you know, Luke's got unfinished business and, and so they don't. And I, th- I think, um, you know, th- there's that real moment where the two of them realize um, that, you know, it's been far too long uh, for them being sort of apart and, and not treating one another as father son or as just buddies he goes i get my swagger from you which is just a really really nice moment between these two uh, as he's kind of sat on the back of the steps of the ambulance and i really like that uh, kind of idea as to why james lucas ultimately kind of looked to get a parish in Har- in and around harlem and I think it, it really sort of mirrors, you know, a conversation between Mariah and Tilda as well. Mm-hmm. That, you know, Mariah says, most of your clientele are, are Jamaicans. Why were you not in Brooklyn? Um, why did you move back to Harlem? You mm-hmm. know, in one of their big conversations. So it's really nice seeing these two uh, finally seeing eye to eye with one another. And it's also a great throwback to show the growth of Luke in this episode. We talked about the growth of Misty, but that line that he says to him, I got my swagger from you, is what Bobby Fish said to him after meeting his father the first time back in episode two. And Luke's reaction to that was, absolutely not. This guy has nothing to do with me now. 
eight episodes later, he's looking at his father and going, I can absolutely see it. I can absolutely see where the two of us are connected. And it's a nice, a, a great moment to kind of round out their story. I did not think I would like this storyline. Uh-huh. It has grown on me and as I have grown with it. Um, the, the ending, the ending alone was worth the payout. Mm-hmm. And I, look, I, I'm not one big for emotional family kind of hoopla. <laughs> A little sensitive, Chris. I know. I'm wearing my heart on my sleeve. <laughs> yeah, no, I just really was not expecting to find this level of growth within, like, an estranged father. And the one thing he hasn't said is, sorry for hating you for so many years and blaming your mother's death on you. Yeah. He nearly did. It made up for it with the hug, where the two of them did that we're, we're grown men we're not gonna really hug we're gonna potentially like hug with our heads <laughs> down on each other's shoulders like touching each other so there's a gap between us because we're manly men but he genuinely says he loves luke like that's you know yeah. how much how much better can you get it's, it is a great moment and i think we talked about it earlier on in the season that that's what luke was holding on to against his father was that he wouldn't apologize for his treatment of luke and I think this is where, again, they are grown men. I think this is the moment where Luke realizes he doesn't actually need an apology. He can just outright forgive him and go on with their lives. And I think this is what what's all in this scene, which is really good. But I think as two come together, uh, moving on to bullet point four, uh, we see uh, another family pairing, Mariah and Tilda, um, really breaking apart here mm. with, you know, family secrets, the truth, dare I say it, you can't handle the truth, maybe. Um, but this is like, um, for me, this was one of the best aspects of, of this episode, was Mariah effectively coming out and telling the truth to Tilda. You know, Tilda's been seeking this out. As I said, she has been chatting to Luke about what's the truth behind her mother. She's always thought that there's been something uh, not fully on the level with with Mariah. She's wanted to know more and ultimately then uh, it's confronted here. Um, And I think the amazing thing about this is it's so layered, it's so complex with so many different aspects to Mariah. And if you think, you know, she's giving sort of real quips to Misty, you know, she says it's hard to imagine Luke Cage in diapers to his father when they're sharing pictures. You know, she's like this chameleon. She really, um, she, she puts herself in this place at a particular time when she's talking to someone and she has this, just this incredibly intense open moment with her daughter Tilda that her daughter really just doesn't expect to happen. You know, it's all about the death of Cornell and it moves into um, just everything to do with her relationship with Tilda. And um, it's fantastic, fantastic acting from uh, Alfie Woodard here, really. And Gabriel Dennison. Yeah, exactly. And these scenes like, you know, just so good. We've talked so many times about how amazing Alfie Woodard is. And you're absolutely right, John. The, the moments in this episode where she's, you know, she's talking to James and she's seeming to act like a mother who wasn't present for her daughter's life just to steal his phone is what we find out later on. It's that she's not actually just playing a part as she has done throughout her life, playing different roles to get what she wants. 
it's so interesting that she's able to have these moments with other people. And we're really seeing those layers throughout this series, particularly after what it is an absolute star. But without Gabrielle Dennis on the other side, re- reacting to this knowledge, the scene wouldn't be as powerful as, it is as they're talking. It's fantastic. And she totally goes all Blair Witch Project on that stuff here. Um, <laughs> the mucus coming out of her nose, the tears coming out of her eyes all look so realistic. It's unbelievably good. Yeah, just that moment where she calls her a monster. Mm-hmm. Um, effectively for telling the truth and for exposing her pain growing up in Mama Mabel's house, being raped by Uncle Pete, um, Cottonmouth, her cousin... Cornell Stokes really always loving um, her uncle Pete, uh, and I think this idea that it, the the death of of Cornell is to do with he loved his uncle Pete more than her, um, and that's why she you know pushes him out the window, smashes the bottle over his head, and ultimately drives the the mic stand into his head. Um, I mean, Mariah has some great lines here. Um, I love it when she turns to Tilda and says, you brought me joy and my deepest pain. Like, it, to me, that kind of sums it up in, in an instant, mm-hmm. uh, really. I just think that it is so good. And then the the other thing of that, you know, Dillard is a fantasy. Uh, Stokes is real um, in relation to Howard Dillard and, and her relationship there and and how ultimately, you know, Despite there being um, this fantasy around Howard Dillard in that he's gay, um, she kind of gave that pretense back in that day that he he w- he was married, he had a child, and and for that she tells Tilda that you know he gave you a good daddy and a good role model, even though he wasn't your daddy. Yeah, and it was Uncle Pete effectively through through rape. So I mean, this is a really harsh story as well, and. Um, a lot of pain for Mariah and a lot of pain for Tilda, ultimately revealing that everything she's based um, her life around is this fantasy that has been created around Howard Dillard as well. Yeah. Um, just yeah. really, I, I love the fact that she says you're a monster as Mariah walks away. After telling her she doesn't look. Yeah, exactly. And never has. Yeah. This was not what we expected. No, no, no. No. Derek, correct me if I'm wrong, I think you wrote last night and you uh, wrote about this after watching it on the Twitter account. Mm-hmm. Any of our fellow defenders, just go over to our Twitter account and look there. I think actually the actress who plays Tilda actually responded to us. She did, yeah. And yeah. that's how powerful it was, not just for the viewers, but even for the actors involved. Mm-hmm. It was that powerful of a scene. The revelation that Pistol Pete is not only the father of Tilda, but raped Mariah continually for years, apparently, until we find that Mama Mabel found out about it uh, and then would not allow for abortion, so sent Tilda off, bring her to term, and then it was, you need to get in bed with Dillard, literally, uh, so that then the fantasy could be show, mm-hmm. even though he was a gay man. Which I, I was not even expecting either. We thought it was going to be Riddenhauer was the father. Well, we had that theory, yeah. Yeah, yeah. the fact that it was Pistol Pete, and John, you're right, what we find is that, the best way of putting it, so 
Pistol Pete from season one, he, but now we know he, he's a rapist and, and potentially someone younger. We don't know what age Mariah was. We don't have an actual age, but we can assume she was underage. Oh yeah, because we have that flashback in season one where Cornell has to kill Pistol Pete. You know, he's looked up to him, um, all this time and he still does. Um, but he is basically being asked to, to step up to the plate by Mama Mabel, um, and, and kill the person that actually is the one that really encourages him to play the piano and, and to, to do the music. Um, you know, it, it's that great thing that Mariah says that Uncle Pete sucked the oxygen out of the room, mm. the way he dressed, the way he played guitar, his swag, uh, all of this. But, um, ultimately, I think whilst it's not mentioned here, it's that yes, at the time, Mama Mabel, you know, is saying you're not having an abortion. The child is effectively, um, shipped off to the Johnsons to be raised. And then whilst I don't think it's said here, I think the flashback in season one is effectively then Uncle Pete has to die. Um, mm. and that's the vengeance. But the thing is, Cornell from that doesn't want to, you know, he is struggles with that. And ultimately then you have the, the fantastic aspect with Cornell's death is that she goes, um, he taunted me. I killed Cornell because he loved uncle Pete more than her. Yeah. And I think, you know, this is absolutely the fundamental basis for Mariah Dillard's Mariah Stokes character. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, it's, it's really powerful, I think. It, re it really, really is. There's something about how she explains Pete to Tilda when she explains, as you say, him sucking the oxygen out of the room. There's something about it where it's so well played because she's explaining she is the victim and everybody else around her looking into the situation is telling her, well, you loved him, so you were leading him on or you were, you were telling him this was okay because of the way you treated him all the time. And then the flip when she says, but I didn't ask him when he came into the room, I didn't want that. That is so well played, so well written and so well filmed and put on screen. It's just an amazing moment to see this pain within Mariah Dillard. And that is the moment when she flips. That is the moment when she changed, when she was told she had to carry the baby to term and it was going off and being given away. That's the moment that she flips. That's when she goes, I'm going to climb this ladder. I'm going to carve out my own niche. She goes to Howard Dillard, gets married to him. His whole family go, we don't really care that you're black as long as he's not gay, basically. And that's where she is. And that's what she's been doing for the rest of her life from that point onwards is doing what's right for her to get her ladder higher than Mama Mabel's. Yeah. Look, this was just an incredibly powerful scene. And I think it... It was incredibly powerful in the way that not just the actual script, but I, I really do think the portrayal. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm gutted that, unfortunately, this was not eligible for an end. Yeah, absolutely. I think this this really shows what Alfred Woodard is bringing to the show. You know? Yeah, absolutely. It, really it just shows how utter nonsense Downton Abbey is, basically, <laughs> yeah. as far as I'm concerned. Like, you know, these posh 
people talking about utter nonsense because I don't know they've lost a pearl ear- earring or something and then here's a woman that has been brought up in muck she's had to deal with muck she's had to keep silent you know it's so powerful and about this determination of this woman Mariah but at the same time she is absolutely destroying her child that she never wanted she tried to to uh, love her you know what does she say I never wanted it and I never wanted you I try to love you but every time I look at you I see Pete again this is just like with Cornell it's the tragedy of Cornell it, she's almost stoic in this moment um, because whilst she is destroying Tilda um, and everything that Tilda thought about her own life, she's also effectively um, releasing everything that happened to someone. Yeah. Um, I don't know whether it's for the first time, but I, th- I think it probably is. Um, everything that that's happened that she thinks about it, well, not whatever other people have thought about and she's played along with, but you know, within the immediate Stokes family. Uh, so, like, this is just amazing yeah. uh, to me. Yeah. Really, really good. Yeah, one of the best scenes we've seen in the Defender shows, I think. And I think ultimately, you know, the, that scene at the end where Shades picks her up as well, and she absolutely um, embraces gangster Mariah, black Mariah, mm-hmm. um, really fantastic, because it's like this cathartic end, um, and that she has put it all out on the table she doesn't have to hide from this and she's going to embrace as a gangster mariah king and queen mariah of harlem and then black mariah so that's actually where where i was going to ask we've so we at the end of this scene Mm -hmm. we have seen the full transformation of mariah dillard mariah stokes to become her gangster true self. Yes. Her, she is going to become the street. She is the next Mama Mabel. She is Mama Stokes now. She is Black Mariah, yes. um, essentially. Where does that leave Tilda? Do, where do we think that's going to go? Basically, you just found out your supposed father's not your real father, that he was gay, he was living a lie. That your mother does not like you. You are a daughter of a rapist. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds like a really big, long title. Uh, it's like something like the the mother of dragons from Game of Thrones. <laughs> all joking aside, like when you find all that out mm. in the space of twenty four hours, she is nearing full on breaking point. Mm-hmm. Like we can see the spasms, the twitches, and her hand when she's touching the nightshade, uh, which she still has some. Yeah, it's like and a fair bit by the looks of things. Mm. Uh, well, a potful, if you will. Where does this leave her? Like, I, I, I'm curious. As I said in my at the opening of this show, I don't think it was that forced help because it looked like we had the flip of the switch, the the flip of the gear with Mariah. Mm-hmm. I think this was to degree slightly that for Tilda. Maybe less so. She's less innocent now. Well, absolutely. Like you said, she was close to breaking point after this discussion with Mariah. She's at breaking point. I'm not sure whether it's going to push her down a path of criminality. I don't know whether that's going to be the story. I'm not too sure. That sounds like a really comic booky story. And I don't think Luke Cage has been comic booky very much or very often. Um, what I do think is the rug has been completely pulled from under the one, the one moment we didn't really talk about is her conversation with Luke, where she says to him, 
she talks about her past and how, where she came from. She said she became a doctor purely because of what her father had done, thinking Howard was her father. She went into Doctors Without Borders because that's what Howard had done. While she was in Doctor Without Borders, that's when she learned about holistic remedies. It's all because of Howard, and that relationship has just been pulled out from under her. He had no connection to her. They didn't spend any time together. Um, she just was going by this image of a man who was completely different than she realized and wasn't connected to her. So her entire past has been pulled out from under her. She moved to Harlem to be near her mother, and now her mother's saying, I don't care about you. Get out of my face. And then when she gets back to the only place that she felt any kind of safety, which is Mother's Touch... When she walks back through that door, she's got Bushmaster sitting there going, you need to help me and you need to save me or else you're going to die. So kind of luckily right now, she doesn't have to make any decision other than keeping herself alive by keeping Bushmaster alive. So I don't think it's going to be a big conversation next episode of Bushmaster where she says, "Um, can I join your gang? (laughs) But it may be a conversation with him going, go ahead and kill her. I hate her, perhaps. Sorry, and yes, you're right. I did not want to suggest that I think she's going full-on supervillain. I think it's the, to a degree, you can't beat him, you join him. Almost like the whole world is conspiring against her since she, since essentially Bushmaster has walked through her door. Mm -hmm. Essentially, she has just had the run of bad luck where she's been thrown into the middle of this. Her, She's finding everything out left, right, and center. And it's come to a point where... There's only so much a psyche can take yeah. before you're like, okay, that's it, I'm done. I, I, I don't care what happens to me anymore. Fine, I will help the gangster with the nightshade, make him super powerful. As much as I would like to see her take over Mariah's empire and fight Mariah, so it's like the, the, the two Stokes, Stokes go to war. I think it would be fantastic. You're right, that is comic booky. Mm-hmm. It will take a lot more time than what we have left in this season to get there. Uh, yeah, I just don't think that's the way they're going to go. I think, as I say, it's probably going to be she helps Bushmaster to take down Mariah now that she hates her. Yeah, because I think that's the yeah. parallel here. It's like really early on, you have Tilda and Luke talking um, about Bushmaster and she goes, I helped create this monster, obviously with the nightshade. And ultimately what we're left with at the end of this episode is Bushmaster effectively asking for her help. And we have Sheldon in uh, Mother's touch with a gun as well mm-hmm. forcing dare i say it tilda to mix up the the special remedy that that gives bushmaster his powers yeah yeah she doesn't know whether she's got enough nightshade left but ultimately then she's gonna have to recreate this monster all over again now with everything that has happened and um, she's also calling mariah a monster um so Will she fight a monster with a monster ultimately here? And I think that'll be really interesting to see. Absolutely. Interesting that she says she doesn't have enough nightshade. Is that because she used someone James to cure his wounds? Or is that is she genuine? She doesn't have enough. She genuinely did use some. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I was going to pull this out in notes later. They have James consistently playing with his hand. Mm -hmm. Even after the most emotional scene ever between him and Luke. As Luke walks away out of shot. Then you have James. James is still playing with his hand. And I was like, oh, is it just sore? Would the, wouldn't the doctors not see into it? What I think we're going to find is that when he takes off in the next episode, he takes off the bandages completely healed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's Luke's suspicion going, she gave you something. That's how it brings Luke towards where she is to find her because she knows, but she's actually with Bushmaster that then. 
kind of brings you to the, the end conclusion. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yes, it does, yeah. Gentlemen, I think it's time we get on to the most, the second most important bullet point of this episode, which is none other than the Styler attack. The culmination of everything that we've seen to this point in the episode. Whew! Sweet Christmas twice in one episode. <laughs> even before the action begins. And the best hairdo ever from one of the Stylers. Um, they're stylish, huh? Like, it looked kind of like a Mohican, but it had three prongs to uh-huh. it. It was proper funky, uh, really reggae. Uh, absolutely loved it. As he gets out of the car, just this massive hairstyle. It's very cool. It's very cool. And again, it plays into the fact that they're called the stylists. They have to be, have cool style if they're called the stylists. It's really cool. One of the things, I don't really point out the soundtrack from Adrian Young very often. He has about 65 different themes that are going on throughout the show. But I thought it was quite interesting that the reggae song that the Stylers are playing in their car as they arrived, which is just singing about Bushmaster, is actually by Andre Young. It's part of the soundtrack. It's not a reggae tune called Bushmaster. I just thought that was quite interesting because it's very rare that his uh, themes underlying the show are actually songs that somebody would be playing on the radio. Uh, It's normally just score that's going on in the background. So uh, I just thought it was quite odd and definitely stood out as a song. I was looking for a song called Bushmaster from reggae in the 70s somewhere, but it's not that. It is actually a song that's on the soundtrack. So nice little touch there as they arrive. He has his own theme tune. I loved then his monologue such a, a villain thing to do a cinematic villain I oh mean. yeah it's like i'm going to stand out here i'm going to shout at nothing and i'm going to basically make you or request that you give up everything and you're like when has that ever worked come on but they do consider it yeah interestingly this is this brings up the ultimate in superhero dilemmas i suppose is is the way we see it this is basically the batman versus joker thing do we keep going round and round in circles arresting this person putting them in prison letting them get let out or do we kill them it's the whole premise of so many comic books that have gone back for decades what we have here is a villain that's willing to kill off luke cage's greatest villain (laughs) and he doesn't have to do anything other than push her out there he says everybody else is free to walk away I have no problem with anybody else, but I'm going to take Mariah off your hands and kill her. And Luke's looking out the window and looking at Misty and going, you know what? That deal doesn't sound that bad, really. Yeah, and he asks Mariah as well, and she goes, I'd have thrown you to the wolves as soon as they started barking. Like, (laughs) great line. Like, also fantastic line. But of course, it all comes back down to the conversation that he's been having with James over the last couple of episodes. It's Luke going, I was brought up better than that. I wouldn't throw you to the wolves because I'm a hero. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's really great. And then, you know, a bit of time passes and it is, okay, war it is, and off they go. And I love how this um, fight unfolds with, you know, a number of them going into the, the building uh, because Mariah effectively goes, really, Arnie Schwarzenegger here. I love what she does. I love her with that gun. You know, it's, the, it's her embracing her destiny here. She's just... <laughs> Um, got everything off her chest to her daughter and now she's like i'm making a run for it uh, there is a moment where they catch each other's eye as well and tilda kind of steps back uh, and stays in the building as mariah kind of starts walking down one of the corridors just blasting the shotgun off it was proper almost hero moment actually uh really just her taking 
the the fight to the stylers who are coming after her whilst obviously misty um is, is trying to keep the stylers uh, at bay as well yeah, from yeah. james lucas and tilda uh, i really really liked uh how sort of hardcore mariah uh, stokes gets here uh, and then you have the great fight out front between Bushmaster and Luke. Yeah, I know you say Terminator, John, but that did really remind me of Sarah Connor trying to break out of the psychiatric facility back in Terminator 2. It's mm-hmm. also Terminator, but yeah. it's just that moment as she's going down the hallway, taking people out as she's walking down yeah, the, yeah, that the was corridor. So cool. It's just absolutely great. And it is with each word as she says it and each shot that she fires, it seems like she's building up even more confidence into where she's going to go and what she's going to do. It is interesting that it's, while Misty's protecting everybody that she gets away. So Misty has, again, let Mariah go out into the night. So uh, Really interesting. We've talked about some of the fights before that we've seen between Bushmaster and Luke. Um, this, I think, is probably my favourite in the season, even though we had the showdown on the bridge where I feel like Bushmaster just cheated by you know, blowing some sand into Luke's face and knocking him into the into the river. This time we see him try to do the same trick again, but this time Luke's ready for it and knocks the powder right out of his hand. And they have possibly the best fight that we've seen. And I think the reason is because of the speed. It seems like they've really got this as a fight between the two of them. We see, as you spoke about right back in episode two, Chris, when we saw the first battle between the two of them, it's the speed of Bushmaster that's so dangerous, even without the potion, even without being super powered. His speed is what actually hits hard on Luke. And it's really only because Luke has his superpowers that he's able to beat Bushmaster. But he is. Once again, he's yeah. able to take him down, and it's a really good fight. Really enjoyed it. I, I, I absolutely love this. this. You saw an evolution of Luke's fighting. Mm. Luke, like, he, he's been muscle. And he still is just pure muscle brutality. But you start seeing him then, when he jumps out of the window for the first time, rather than tap the guy in the head he bends the automatic rifle around his neck so he's breaking the gun because typically he just smacked the guy then there'd be another gun sitting there for someone else Mm -hmm. so just this evolution is fantastic and he starts moving then as well but he's much more brutal but not in terms of a brutality but very much a controlled strength that is coming to him yeah there's kind of a moment where he eyes up bushmaster when Bushmaster's attacking him and kind of sizes up the kind of style he has and then reaches out for a, a bat to hit back at Bushmaster. Yeah. It's that moment where he's going, maybe I don't just walk into this and box him. Maybe I can also use the same kind of tactics as he's using. And it just sees that, shows that evolution. As I wrote in the notes, I think myself, I wrote, this isn't a test. This is the real fight. This is the real moment where the two of them are just going to go at it until one of them wins. Um, without any superpowers, without any powder blowing in his eyes, Luke's able to take him down. So it is it is the real proper fight. Yeah, I, I loved this. And then, actually, it was a good fight to watch. Mm-hmm, exactly, yeah. It was really enjoyable. It was satisfying. Each punch packed a wallop. Mm-hmm. Like, and then the, the deafening final <laughs> blow, which is... Bushmaster is laid into that car. Like, the car full-on dents and moves back. Yeah. His powers are waning. Before he gets into the jail, uh, into the, the van, he is battered and bruised already. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> After the van, he's a bit more than battered and bruised. <laughs> yes, exactly. And so I think... Actually, John, do you want to take what happens in the van, the monologue? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Manny? Like, for me, this was next to 
Mariah's story ultimately uh, and where she came from. I, I really enjoyed this story, this tale of Bushmaster. Again, it's that strong link back to ancestries, uh, the old ways, the history, as he talks about um, Nanny and the Maroons and the, the, the birth of Jamaica uh, in fire resistance and independence. You see these links back to how he has operated throughout the earlier episodes in the season you know the decapitated heads uh, put on on stakes at mariah's uh, family first he talks about the maroons and you know becoming slaves in in the sugarcane plantations of, of, of the british in, in the caribbean and in uh, jamaica uh, and ashanti who didn't forget who she was uh, the magic um, and keeping the science alive you know leading this revolt he talks about them sort of melting away into the landscape on of the Blue Mountain and ambushing their their former slave owners, uh, cutting off their heads, taking their time, you know. And this was the true birth of Jamaica. I mean, it's a really fascinating um, that he does this as well before he makes this sacrifice in a sense. Uh, in order to gain his own freedom as well from police custody. You know, I think it's an important tale that he he tells here. Uh, and I just thought it was really, really good. I mean, I am a sucker for history as well. True, so. true. Mm. Uh, no, really fascinating, really interesting story. You always know there's something going on in the mind of Bushmaster when he opens his mouth to tell one of these stories. You know, the last time we had a story like this, he burnt down the brownstone of the people he was telling the story to. We should have realized those police officers in the van with him weren't safe. <laughs> that he had something in his hand um, and it turned out to be the bomb so uh, he blows the van away and everybody inside it but because of his powers he is still alive and drags himself to get help from Tilda as the episode closes yeah exactly I think the other thing here just quickly to mention is you know when Shades meets up with Mariah that he has an Ansi captive in the boot still alive and uh, we do see earlier as well Shades at Gwen's restaurant uh taking a red stripe and you, you wondered whether there was going to be an explosion there or not, but he has kidnapped um, Anansi here as he uh, finds Mariah walking down with her massive shotgun uh, still. And again, I think it's a really nice moment because uh, you really kind of get the sense that she absolutely uh, embraces what she needs to become and, and what Shades has said that, she can't come back from from the killing of of uh, Cornell Stokes. You yeah. know that that's when she became the gangster, and she needs to embrace it. And of course, as always with these two, their relationship um, blowing hot again. Uh, here. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I have to agree with you just on your point about Gwen's about. Uh, Shades sitting in Gwen's. I thought that was his plan. I thought because the brownstone got burnt down by Bushmaster, that he was then going to burn down Gwen's in retaliation for um, yeah, for that definitely. attack. Uh, not while he was inside having a red stripe. After he left, <laughs> still not a hundred percent that that will not happen. Mm -hmm. I don't think it will happen right now, but I think there will be a coordinated strike on that because he, he he's now done the recon. He's got a Nancy. Uh, yeah, this is going to be interesting. Definitely, definitely. I think that finishes out our top five points. It does for me. Yeah, absolutely. I think on to the notes. Anyone got any notes? I know I do. Uh, yeah, first one for me, just really, uh, just to call it out because it seemed to be quite present in there when the uh, when the cocoa is being made by Luke and his father. 
and Luke calls out, I executive produce this coffee. Um, it's just interesting that it comes so quickly after him saying, it's my show to Misty when she says she's going to lead um, their team up earlier on in the season. It just seems to be a little bit of kind of a Deadpool fourth wall breaking kind of comments where they're talking about the actual TV show as opposed to their actual relationships. These kind of things always seem to stand out. Yeah, really, really good. Just some more idea of science, magic, and and God here, which was was really good. Um, we have Tilda saying magic, they say, is science that we don't understand. Really linking in with the the MCU aspect. Whether I'm a biggest fan of that, I don't know. But anyway, um, and I love again. Uh, we have Bushmaster saying kept the science alive here with Shanti um, and 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 Nanny uh, in terms of. Um, not forgetting who they were and bringing those old ways uh, back. So uh, really a nice little theme through through this episode. And I think also then, obviously, with James Lucas, there's that inclusion of God there and a higher power, which is kind of interesting as well. Yeah. And one other thing that Tilda says earlier on, which I thought was quite interesting, because when put into a magic user that Tilda kind of is and has been seen through this, just this line coming out of her mouth where she describes, I was trying to unlock the potential of Earth. And once again, this is talking about this earth level magic that you, that we were, we were talking about in the past with this show. It's just really interesting when you have lines that in anybody else's mouth, if it's just standard stuff and the interviews on TV or whatever, you'd never bat an eyelid at that. But she is talking about magic here. She is talking about the fact that she's a magic user, just like Doctor Strange, but a different type of magic user. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 No, I, I find this really the, the, the whole thing interesting in that. They are connecting this show with this universe, the, 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 the Netflix portion, more and more with the MCU. But at the same time, very few Easter eggs, very few other connections. Mm. If you, if you know where I'm going with this. I think Luke of all the series, this, this series of Luke Cage has had probably more connections. Firstly, to all the rest of the Netflix shows, because we saw with Punisher and with um, Jessica Jones that they kind of steered clear of connecting it to the other shows, probably because of when they were made around the time of, of Defenders, just after Defenders, they couldn't be exactly clear how the show was going to end. So they didn't tie it in very much. And we complain quite a lot about that with things like Punisher not mentioning that Daredevil's off the table. Um, I think with Luke Cage season two, it's probably had more Easter eggs and connections to all the other Netflix shows and some pretty big references to the movies as well so um i think this season has been a bit more yes more but not not as far as you want it to go thank you yes <laughs> yeah. yes i know i, I like, i'm not expecting agents of shield level where like every third episode has a massive reference <laughs> but they're teasing i think is the best way if we were on a date it's like i kind of like you i don't love you but i kind of like you. i'm getting there i kind of love you now i don't want to use the word love they want to be my partner. They want to love me, but they, they I don't want to say the big L word. <laughs> Not to sing my own praises, but I think I did <laughs> describe this last week as the Netflix universe can't really reference the Marvel movies because the Marvel movies and the Marvel TV shows on other networks are for a much younger audience than the Netflix shows are. If you have Captain America walking into Pop's Barbershop with Luke Cage, you're basically telling a 12-year-old he should watch a show which has sex and language and loads of violence and killing in it. So they don't cross over in that way, and they never can. That is fine, but there is a rich tapestry history, just over 80 years of Marvel comic book history, mm-hmm. 
to draw upon. Yes, but the Netflix shows aren't doing that, though. The Netflix shows are really the Marvel Max, which didn't cross over with the main universe very often. Yeah, but it still pulled upon <laughs> the history. Well, they do. They they pull on the history in that we know that Iron Fist comes from Kung Lun. Luke Cage had the, the tiara on. Yeah. For my two pence worth, I don't think everything needs to be connected. I really don't. Um, I think sometimes it works, like with the MCU. I don't, you know, I think we get enough references here to say that it is in the same world. They yeah. talk about the incident that, and so on. But um, otherwise, it it is. It is a different show. I think Marvel are trying to do something different here. And to connect it too much into the more saccharine side of the MCU undermines the likes of what Mariah is talking about in terms of her rape by her uncle Pete and about other, you know, Madame Gao in terms of her story, in terms of uh, Fisk and, and his layering. I, like it's, it, you know, the best villains have come from these shows. And I think that makes it stand out from the MCU. Uh, absolutely. And I, I mean, for me, more so than um, Killmonger or even, I love them. Absolutely, don't get me wrong. One of the best villains in, in in the MCU, but I think these shows absolutely have the space to look at these in a completely different way. Yeah, and it is, and it's also thirteen hours, pretty much. Yeah, um, compared to two and a half, three. Yeah, yeah, all valid points. Mm-hmm. I want my brother Voodoo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. Oh, look. I just, I, I'm, I'm joking now, sorry, gentlemen. I would, I would love to have seen Bleecker Street on the Defenders. Absolutely, would have but loved to. Alas, they didn't do it. You're right for the rationale of why. Mm-hmm. Very much. But definitely take a character that they haven't used yet and turn it into a Netflix Marvel character. You yeah, know? that that's absolutely cool. Uh, totally and I, I think just because I know when I say these words, someone's going to squeal. And we're going to get loads of thank yous. Do you think they should do Moon Knight? Yeah, I'm open to them doing anything. I'm loving what they do on the Marvel Netflix series. But first up, I want Daughters of the Dragon. Absolutely, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, any of those sound perfect to me. Yeah. I yeah. want to see Heroes for Hire. Yes. I want to see the Defenders back again with Monsoir Stephen Strange helping them out. Not necessarily leading them. Yeah, no, I absolutely love the interaction but i don't think it's a necessary must absolutely am i disappointed that the interaction the crossover with other aspects hasn't been what i would have liked given my favorite comic book hero absolutely but at the end of the day and um, these shows stand on their own two feet and they are fantastic for that but i would love dr strange being in there absolutely mm-hmm just one final note from me before we get out of this uh, area. I just think it was really interesting. We talked about the conversation between Mariah and Tilda. What I thought was interesting was that Mariah is pushed over the edge by the way that Tilda thinks her life has gone. It's it's really interesting conversation that they're having. It's effectively that Tilda thinks her mother doesn't love her because she's not black enough. And there's this conversation that happens between the two of them. And that is the moment that Mariah breaks and tells her the real truth and breaks everything down for her because this issue of racism within the black community as to how black you are determining your level in society has gone on for decades and a lot of people don't talk about it very often so for them to pull it in here and break apart these two characters because effectively what tilda's just called mariah is that she's a racist 
And that's what breaks Mariah into going, hang on, love, you don't know the story. This is the real story behind who you are and why I don't like you. And I just think it's a really interesting thing to put in there from these writers. They just know these characters so well that they can bring in such a huge topic as racism within the black community and use it not about racism, but to kick off the actual issue and the actual story that's going on between these two characters. I absolutely agree with you. I think Mariah says it best when she says she's colorblinded. Yeah, I mean, it's just that layering of all that writing between those two characters, different push points that happened, just how complex it is just it's the reason why it is my favorite um scene of the show so far even though it talks about tough difficult um issues and between these two characters really really good but that's what this show does this show even in the last season the toughest conversations the toughest topics were some of the best Mm -hmm. scenes the most memorable scenes absolutely and on that note gentlemen uh, uh, any more notes before we move over to our defence? No, I think we're ready to go. All right. Uh, I, I think I know where this is going. But first and foremost, Derek, do you defend this episode of Luke Cage, season two, episode nine, for Pete's sake? I don't think there's a surprise here that we're all probably going to defend this. This is absolutely, Chris, you said it earlier on, this is probably my favourite episode of the season as well. When I watched it, I was going, they've set this up in the right way. This is a stage play where we've got five main characters in a building, reacting to each other and talking about all the things we want them to react. And we still get some good action in here as well. This is the perfect episode of Luke Cage. If I scored it, I'm probably on the level of very close to five out of five for this. I can't imagine anything that could be better than having all of these characters. And we know we're going to get Danny Rand coming up in the series soon as well. So, hey, maybe that episode could be even higher. So uh, that's definitely a defense for me. Thank you very much, John. Do you defend this episode of Luke Cage? I do defend this episode of Luke Cage. I give this five Arnie Mariahs out of five. <laughs> I <laughs> absolutely uh, love this episode. And I think more so for the fact that it really seemed to flow from those character dynamics in episode eight as well. Mm-hmm. I-, I love the setting of this, uh, as you mentioned, Derek. You know, for me here, we saw the true birth of Mariah to Black Mariah gangster mariah potentially the true birth of tilda with hearing those about herself and what she may become possibly and we have the true birth of um luke and his father as well james in in terms of really reconnecting and finally being at peace with with what's happened previously um and then we have the true birth of Jamaica with Bushmaster uh, and what he says in the back of the police van. So really, really uh, fantastic. I think so far my favourite episode of this season. So absolutely defend this really uh, interesting, layered and complex um, episode of Luke Cage. That's fantastic, John. And considering the disappointment that you have in your face as we rolled the opening two minutes of the episode and you realize they'd skipped any conversation with Danny Rand and hadn't had him in there opening up the doors. It's great that the episode actually delivered much more than you were expecting when you didn't get Danny at the beginning of the episode. Yeah, you see, I can even deal without crossovers between these shows. Um, 
to st- first. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Chris. I don't not know. Do you want to pass it over to me? I'm sorry, oh. Chris. Um, yeah, I mean, I was a little disappointed that we didn't see Danny Rand. Absolutely, but I think um, you know this was a fantastic episode. But with that. Chris, do you defend this episode of Luke Cage, episode nine, for Pete's sake? Oh, for Pete, yes, of course <laughs> I do. I'm not even going to jump around the bush. Why beat around the bush? But when you can jump around the bush. Yes, no, very much. Uh, I defend this I, for every reason you guys have said. Um, this is my favorite episode of the season. Mm-hmm. I know we still have four more, so I will not definitively market as that but it's in the top two at the moment um and yeah for so long we have talked about the birth of mariah the creation of the titular hero that luke cage is from the comic books and this set up a lot of it this helped awaken luke to the fact that it's okay to have the power and not go into the darkness to forgive himself we have the actual Arnie-inspired Mariah walking down the corridor berth, mm-hmm. where she is just laying it out. Like, it, yeah, this was a, a culmination of beautiful things. And as you said, it's almost like 12 Angry Men. Mm-hmm. Like, it's that level of greatness. So, yes, I 100% defend this episode. Isn't it really weird? There's something that I was talking about with John after watching after watching the episode that that moment at the beginning when they arrive at Rand Industries reminded me of Day of the Dead, the George Romero movie, where you've effectively got all these people going to a shopping mall and being stuck there as the attackers come and surround them effectively. It just really reminded me of a zombie movie where you've got the survivors all ganging together and being stuck in one location. And how are they going to play with each other? Because effectively... You've got the greatest villain and the greatest hero sitting there and they can't beat each other up because the other villain's coming in around them. So uh, that's where that's one of the things that I think is a little bit of a touch point for the episode. It just kind of stood stood out to me. But I'm a huge zombie fan, so maybe like, everything reminds me of Romero. Ah, uh, but you can't beat a good old Day of the Dead, mm-hmm. Dawn of the Dead, Night of the Living Dead. Uh, all of them. Just, you can't yeah. beat them. But gentlemen, um, I think we have some feedback Fellow Defenders, if you are interested in sending us some feedback on your thoughts of this episode, previous episodes, episodes that are coming up, you can send us a voicemail through our website at DefendersTVPodcast.com. You can email it to us at feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com. Just remember, when you do email us, mark in the subject line exactly which episode you're giving us feedback on, because we don't want to be spoiled. Spoilers are bad. (laughs) But you can also go over to Twitter at Defenders Cast, and let us know your thoughts there. Just like Ronaldo on email. Yes, Ronaldo says, We talk about complexities with villains. Mariah Dillard takes the crown. I thought Fisk was layered. The scene with Mariah and Tilda is absolute gold. You go from feeling empathy to horror with Mariah's story. Poor, poor Tilda. As I'm still watching, I'm reeling, so I just had to get it down and across to you. Can't wait to hear your thoughts, Ray. Uh, yeah, thank you so much, Ronaldo. Um, yeah, completely agree here. Uh, this was a fantastic scene. Um, absolutely the best of the series for me so far. Um, it just shows so much complexity. Um, I cannot agree with you more on, uh, the scene between Mariah, Tilda, 
everyone involved in that on the show needs to have a good and hearty slap on the back for putting something across that is so difficult um, in such a good way. It was fantastic. It is interesting, isn't it? Like we talked about it back in season one of Daredevil when we saw the reveal of who Fisk really is, his background, what he had to go through in his life. And that was done in flashback. And Chris, you talked about it before, that these shows are getting known for having a flashback to show you the big moment, to actually show it on screen. In this scene, we just have Alfre Woodard talking to Gabriel Dennis, discussing the moment of her creation, and we get no flashbacks. The camera doesn't doesn't cut away from Alfre Woodard at all. It is that monologue moment that you would get in a stage play, and it is fantastic. Does this push Mariah Dillard into being a higher level villain than Wilson Fisk? I don't know, because you can't unsee the performance that Vincent D'Onofrio gave as Wilson Fisk. You can't unsee it. Once you've seen it, it's there, it's in your mind. So it'll never be able to compare the two, but she's certainly one of the best villains now in the MCU, in the Netflix Marvel Universe, having being built up over these episodes this is episode 10 of season two that's 23 episodes she's had to really develop and hone the character and own every scene she's in there so yeah I, i'm kind of on the side that she is probably a greater villain than anybody else that we've seen fantastic thank you so much for your feedback ray just dropping back in with a bit more feedback uh, from our facebook group robert phillips talks about episode eight and he starts with now what are we meant to think about our evil king and queen after that episode mariah and shade now showing some degree of humanity but determining to set themselves back on the throne of the underworld by whatever means possible misty is back on the force briefly and is still surprised by her bionic arm it seems yeah we didn't really mention that in the episode there seems to be a bit of extra strength on misty knight's arm doesn't there yeah just a little but um yeah I'd be surprised by the strength of that bionic arm as well. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. Robert Phillips goes on to say, Tilda might have the way to break Bushmaster's invincibility, but she may not need to if he breaks himself with inadequately prepared nutraceuticals. Then there's the booty call that Luke makes to Danny via his coffee pal. Well, I'm choosing to read it that way for this episode at least. <laughs> Absolutely. Also on episode eight, Jamie Young. Sorry, I'm so late getting my feedback in for this episode. I was on vacation last week and took a break from Netflix and podcasts. This is another episode with too many great scenes to list. I always knew there was more to shades than meets the eye, and I haven't been disappointed. It says a lot for his character and Thea Ross's acting, that he can murder his best friend and former lover, and I don't hate him. I like that we're beginning to see him crack around the edges. I still think he may turn on Mariah or betray her in some way. Ben Donovan is the slimiest of slime balls. I love it. It's really hard to say how the relationship between Tilda and Mariah will continue to develop. Tilda seems both appalled and loyal to her mother at the same time. Can't wait to keep watching. Lastly, I love the part where Luke's dad punches the styler. Bulletproof or not, you're still my baby. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jamie. Thank you so much, Robert. Yeah, a load of great points there. I have to say, I'm not entirely sure where Shades and Mariah's relationship is going to head. I think it's a really tough one to call. You know, they do tend to blow hot and cold. Will they 
form this power king and queen of Harlem, or will it just be a king, or will it just be a queen of mm-hmm. Harlem? Uh, I think really we're to to see how that plays out. But at least we see them back together in this episode that we've talked about. Oh, so. definitely, yeah. Yeah, yeah, really good. And of course, yes, we do see how Tilda and Mariah's uh, relationship uh, plays out, really, uh, and ultimately Mariah. Uh, without a shadow of a doubt, pushing away her only daughter. Um, but the thing is, the great thing about that, um, is that you feel for both of them because Tilda, um, has absolutely been given the truth uh, and Mariah is wearing her heart on her sleeve about this episode in her life for the first time. Um, and you can kind of maybe sympathize, empathize with Mariah as to what happened and why she would find it so difficult to um, have some form of connection to, to Tilda. Um, and despite that, I do like the way she says, you know, the Dillard fantasy gave you a good role model, uh, gave you uh, something to aim for. Um, so it's kind of really interesting how this plays out. It is both kind of almost curring and absolutely brutal at the same time in mm-hmm. terms of what Mariah does here. So uh, a great, great scene from this episode. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks so much for that feedback, Jamie. And thanks so much, Bob, for your feedback on episode eight as well. I'm still not too sure what nutraceuticals are, uh, but I presume that that's the drug that uh, Bushmaster's taking, right? I have no idea. I presume it's like nutrients, <laughs> but suticals. Oh, there you go. We'll have something to look up on uh, not the Urban Dictionary this time, the real dictionary. Yeah, you see, I'm not a medical doctor. True, true. That is true. You are just the doctor of science. <laughs> Robert also came back with his thoughts on episode 9. He says, A base under siege episode, hiding in a ran bunker and bringing home truths that hurt. And once again, question where the moral lines are drawn in these characters. We hear Black Mariah, her painful beginning, the truth of biological genesis being completely different than being a parent. With gun in hand, she reverts to gangster. Reverend James is still good. Still good. <laughs> and the mystical and magical and scientific are wrapping together with Tilda and Bushmaster. Is there going to be a healing found in the herbs? Is the queen to be recrowned? Has the officer who searched Bushmaster before the prison transport already been sacked? Can't wait for the next episode. But I will. <laughs> Very good point, yes. If he, if Bushmaster was able to get on board that prison transport carrying that piece of explosives in his hand with after a search um yeah that guy definitely should be sacked <laughs> yeah absolutely um again really good this hunkering down based on the siege uh both in terms of from bushmaster but also i think from each other with regards to mariah tilda luke and misty um yes is the queen to be recrowned or will she be a king in the form of shades. <laughs> okay. I don't know whether Mariah's going to dress up as shades. No, I don't think so. she is. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, finally, Bob says, and not to let it slide, another gay character is dead. Marvel Netflix seems to have trouble keeping LGBT plus folks alive. Yes, Mr. Dillard, another gay character, unfortunately gone. At least we knew he was gone from the beginning of the series. So it's not like he's another character that's been introduced to dead. But yeah, I think we kind of need to have an on-screen uh, gay character at this stage. We've lost a lot of them this season. Absolutely. I think uh, LGBC plus really needs to stay um front and square on some of these Marvel Netflix shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, but thank you so much again, Robert um, and Jamie, for your feedback. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Back to the regular episode. Thanks, guys. So, gentlemen, I think it's about time we wrap up this episode. And much like Mariah, wandle down a bridge with a shotgun 
and wait for shades to come collect us. <laughs> Fellow defenders, thank you so much for listening to us. If you haven't yet, please pop over to one of the podcasts, catchers, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Podcasts, Google Podcasts, excuse me, uh, and leave us a review and share the love and tell people about it because sharing is caring. Mm-hmm. Or just make sure you go over and subscribe at DefendersTVPodcast.com forward slash iTunes. We'll be back with our review of Luke Cage Season 2, Episode 10. The main ingredient. I wonder what that could be about. It sounds tasty. Next Friday. It does. I think it rhymes with lampshade. By that I mean nightshade. Of course. Nice. Anyway, we'll yeah. be back with Episode 10 on Friday. So thank you so much for joining us, fellow Defenders. And I'm out of here. Yes, thanks so much, fellow defenders, for joining us. Please make sure you send in your thoughts on the last four episodes of the season. Only two weeks left to go on our coverage of Luke Cage. So uh, get your thoughts in as quick as possible so we can discuss them on the last couple of episodes. As always, fellow defenders, thank you so much for listening. I cannot wait for uh, Danny and Luke doing hot yoga together. Uh, but we'll have to wait until next time when we speak to you. Thanks for listening. Bye. However, in the confusion, Mariah escapes and reunites with Shades, who has captured Bus... Bus... <laughs> Busmaster! Busmaster. <laughs> <laughs> and the best hairdo ever from one of the stylers. Um, they're stylish, no? Like, it looked kind of like a Mohican, but it had three prongs to uh-huh. it. It was proper <laughs> funky, reggae-looking... What the hell chicken. is reggae? Sorry, reggae. <laughs> <laughs> Funky reggae Reggie. chicken. Great Reggie. <laughs> we'll be back with our review of Luke Cage, Season 2, Episode 10. The main ingredient. I wonder what that could be about. It sounds tasty. Next Friday. It does. I think it rhymes with a night, a maid. There you go. So... <laughs> 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 Pite paid. Yeah. What? What? Nightshade, the main ingredient. Oh, I just thought it was about Danny Rand, yeah. so I was trying to work out how a night a maid rhymes with Danny Rand. <laughs> yeah. No, nightshade. A night maid. Does that not make sense? No. I would never have gone for nightshade. Anyway, okay. Sorry. Yes. You could say it almost rhymes with a hoid maid. No. Anyway, I'm trying to say nightshade. (laughs) Thank you. Yes, you could say it almost. Sorry. It almost rhymes with two new words that I've just made up to rhyme with it. (laughs) (laughs) Hilarious. We've got our outtake. Yes, you could almost say it rhymes with lampshade. (laughs) 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 I'm sorry. Uh, Okay.